I cannot wait any longer. He is officially here. Kyle fucking Brand yeah. is in the building. We swear on this thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. All Go right, ahead. so I want to share everything with the listeners out there, the homies of 33%. Okay. Uh, I did not want to meet you outside. I wanted to meet you in the studio because I've spent the last few days watching interviews of Dan Patrick, watching interviews, like when you were promoting your show, nah, just everything. taking in all this shit. <laughs> and I was like, his energy is such like mine that if I meet you, I'm going to talk to you too much and waste it. Totally. We started to do that yeah. right beforehand, but I'm excited. I'm excited too. I have to start with the bone to pick with you, though. I I, I've done my research on you. All right, can I pick my bone first? That yeah, sounds I was awesome. going to save mine. <laughs> all right. First of all, you have me on shortly thereafter, Nate Burleson. Yeah. And fuck you for doing that because I feel like Jerry Stackhouse. Jerry Stackhouse had to dunk after Vince Carter in the mm. dunk contest. It doesn't matter what he did, he wasn't going to live up to it. You and Burleson are talking about, I got to tear my muscles to build new ones and very <laughs> introspective. And then you're rapping and I'm like, how am I supposed to come on after Nate? That's it's terrible. A, it's like, Watching somebody slay karaoke. And yes. like, Kyle? Kyle? Kyle like, with brown eyed girl. Get up there. Hey, where are we? You're not. You're screwed. Just walk but, out. Yeah, you're a completely different energy. <laughs> Complete, and you wore the Bill Belichick Browns polo. Yeah. Which is. This really happened. How many shirts do you have? Because this is a thing for you, and I appreciate it. I had a lot. When I was doing the show on NFL Throwback Network last NFL shirt. Yeah, I just said, um, I want stuff that you see it and immediately transports you. So if you got a picture of Refrigerator Perry and Mr. T shaking hands in 1986, I want that on a T-shirt. If you have Dan Reeves wearing a constable hat in London, so I want did that. You make, do you make these T-shirts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I make them all. Man. And the Belichick Cleveland Browns, which to me is like, it's like DiCaprio on Growing Pains. Like, this really happened. He I was did literally listening to Mike Lombardi's book today, just on the train, just because yeah. I love football. And he's talking about how the last time they won a playoff game was 1994, and he's the head coach, and Nick Saban's on yeah. staff, yeah. and Kirk Ferentz, and you go, it's some curse of the Bambino shit. I know. Like, they lose Babe Ruth, and he goes away, but it's kind of like Bill with the Browns. It is I don't want to talk about that. Uh, I was going to save my, I was gonna save my bone to pick with pick you. My bone left go. Come on. Something happened two years ago that yeah. I had waited my entire fucking life for. Go on. The Eagles won the fucking Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have spent my entire <laughs> life suffering through Rodney Pete getting hurt in the playoffs sure. to Rich Kotite being my head coach yep. to Rondé Barber intercepting uh, Donovan McNabb to four straight NFC ch championship games to losing the Patriots and my quarterback vomiting. And it was the year where I'm in media and I'm like, I am going to be <laughs> the media member with the Eagles. And you do a fucking underdog rant. And I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm a tumbo, you dude. I literally was like reading stuff about controlling the ego. Because I'm sitting there going, this fucker is getting all this Eagles love right now. But I uh, will say this. When they won it. All of that went away, and I said, I want to give this motherfucker a hug. <laughs> so I just want you to know, though, that for like a three-week span, I was so jealous of you, bro. I get that a lot. Do you really? Absolutely. Because you know that when the Bears win that Super Bowl, <laughs> yeah. if fucking right, right. Nick Wright like does a speech about <laughs> right. the Bears are my right, team, right. you're going to be like, fuck you, dude. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> Screw you, Pete Prisco. I was born in Chicago. That actually um, felt very cathartic for me, so thank you for letting me get keep, that Let out. it all out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing that I get a lot is, so y'all, bro, you're from Philly, right? You grew up in Philly. I said, not only did I not grow up there, at the time when I did said rants, 
I think I had been to Philadelphia two times in my life, and both times it was to play football at Franklin Field in college and get my ass kicked by wow. Penn. So if anything, I hated Philadelphia. Sure. I was not the native son, the prodigal son, any of it, but I'm at the parade. Yes. I tweet with the players. You, I was just I'm, riding I'm going to share something with all <laughs> the you listeners. Got? You're at the parade, and you yep. had like an allocated spot. Mm-hmm. I'm at the parade with a Reggie White long sleeve <laughs> sweater with a, with a daddy cigar in my mouth and a bottle of fu- fucking bourbon in Where my back you? pocket because for me it was like I, I'm unleashing everything right now yeah. and I, I will say it has it been cool to be embraced by a city that's not your own like that Incredible. it's gotta be crazy it's unbelievable especially like especially that city with respect to any but you know Denver San Francisco they're all fine like Philadelphia is a special breed I and was there that day to get very, embraced by very very tough and I mean that day that parade I was offered beers joints pills favors wow. i mean anything people those people have been there for like 12 hours when i got there to the front row yes. so like they were like we love you you want this this is my girl whatever you need i'm i'm wow. good man i'm serious that actually happened and i'm i'm believing it i'm not even going to dispute this and you're envying it what you're Jason doing and kelsey <laughs> tore the roof off i know i was standing there 100 feet from that when that all oh. happened it was really Really cool. I mean that that morning. I'm just name dropping. I'm just revving. Yeah, it. No, I'm kind please. of twisting that. I, that morning, I no no no. You Fletcher Cox I'm, tweeted I'm good. it. I'm good. Are you? No, I'm embracing you as part of this. <laughs> now that we've met, and now that they yeah, won. Yeah, yeah. No, all I needed to say was that oh, it sucked for a little bit, and now I'm I good. Know. That's how I live my life. What's funny though about the Philly thing is that the common tweet that I would get constantly from Philly fans: "You'll never buy a beer in this town again. You'll never buy a beer. Never buy a beer." Not long after the Super Bowl, six months later, my wife, my wife and my two kids and I, we took a trip to Philadelphia just to, as a tourist sure. to see the Liberty Bell on that ship. History is unbelievable. That night, the kids go to bed. I go down to the corner liquor store just to buy a six-pack like for my wife and I to drink. We watch a movie. I am standing in line at this corner store in front of like three Eagles fans, like Dawkins jersey, sweatshirt, oh. hooded out the back. I'm carrying a six-pack of Yingling because it like, went in Rome. This is this the moment. This is the moment. I'm not making this up. This dude in front of me turns around and he goes, yo, you're Kyle Brandt, the Eagles rant guy. Oh, I love you. Take a picture of me, selfie, selfie, selfie. And then as we're wrapping up, he goes, hey, what do you got there, man? I go, oh, it's just six pack. He goes, cool, enjoy. Nice to meet you. Walked out of there. <laughs> Didn't buy anything. That was the moment. I paid oh. for the beer in that town two minutes after, and I just laughed about it because oh. the guy thought he, about it. He was like, oh, Yingling, nice. Oh, Yingling, nice. <laughs> See you later, man. Take care. That was the moment. That's incredible. <laughs> right? That's awesome. That's Philly. Uh, yeah, man. All right. I have a lot of things we're going to get into. I, I want to talk some football in the beginning. Sure. Just to conversation lubricant before I like dive into your past. <laughs> you're, you're a really hard person to prepare an interview for really? because you've lived so many lives yeah. and each of those lives can take us down a wormhole. You can go down the days of our lives wormhole. Sure. You can go down the Jim Rome wormhole. Uh, so that's why I want to talk NFL first because each of those could be crazy. I mean, we didn't even mention real world. I mean, come on. That's what I mean. Like, there's so many <laughs> I know Ruthie and Puck. I can get you on the phone right now. I'm a very valuable guest. All right. What so, do you want to talk about? Well, the first thing I want to do is major fucking NFL news happened yesterday. Yeah. Major. Yeah. The Oakland Raiders. Oh, my gosh. Are the hard knocks team. It's heroin for me. For everyone that said, wait till next year where they're traveling, I say this to you. You cannot risk it. <laughs> if this team goes to the playoffs yeah. and you don't get them next year, also, fuck teams moving. Mm-hmm. We've seen this on hard knocks. I don't need to see the equipment guys packing up shit. <laughs> I want to see Antonio Brown yeah. walking in with no shirt but eight chains. Yes. So you're as equally as excited as I am. I, I can't. I, I didn't think we were going to get it. I, I kept thinking. 
They're going to do us with Detroit. They're going to do us with – they're not going to give us what we want. They're going to give us Arizona and do Kyler and Cliff. I don't care. I'm not interested. I had to talk about the Arizona Cardinals for six straight weeks leading up to the draft. It wasn't compelling. No No one gave a shit. No. I'm sorry. I like Kyler and all them. No one cared. This is the goods. And I always think of it like if you consume HBO like I'm sure you do, one of my favorite moments in all their programming is right before you get the – they give you that – what to expect in this episode, like graphic content, graphic language, extreme yes, violence. Yes, I feel like the Raiders' hard knocks is going to be loaded with They're going to need all of those That's, things. Sometimes there's only like two, and you're like, oh, mild nudity. What the hell am I watching this show for? But when they hit you with like six of them, you're like, this is about to be an episode. I feel like this is going to have all six of them. The other thing that I love is Liev Shriver, who adds... Oh my gosh. So... I had my friend, David Ingram, <laughs> create some scripts for you, because I know you do this. Yes. So uh, I want you to do a little bit of Lee, Liev Shriver. Okay. Uh, but just wait for the music, okay? Yes. Okay. Oakland. The hold the hold. I'm starting it over. Starting over. All right. Because okay. Liev Shriver is the star of every season. Everyone. Never yes. mind Antonio Brown. It's Liev. Okay. Oakland, the land of oaks, a tree that symbolizes strength, permanence. But this season, the shade provided by the mighty oak will be dwarfed by a shadow the size of the Las Vegas Strip. Antonio Brown, or as he's known around the NFL, AB, must learn the ABCs of Gruden's OFFENSE or OMG, or he'll be out of a JOB. <laughs> Catchy prose. John Gruden arrives at practice straight from the very Supercuts barbershop where Mark Davis's famous bowl hairstyle was born. But those follicles won't be the only cuts made at this facility by the end of the week. Oh, this is good. <sighs> Slow motion sprinkler headshot, ankles being taped. And did you, hold on, do you see what you just did? Yes. You began thinking of the images. I did. I have some Lefko locks of images that I can guarantee. <laughs> okay. At three yeah. to one. We are going to see video of LaMarcus Joyner telling Jeff Fisher that he's thinking about quitting the Rams from Hard Knocks two years ago and then showing LaMarcus Joyner as a leader of the defense. That's three to one. They're going to do a Hard Knocks recap right. back to LaMarcus Joyner. Time stamp from two years ago. You started with a LaMarcus Joyner. That's kind of a deep yes. cut. I like it. These are locks. <laughs> Lock number two. We're going to see Vontez Burfick's hit on Antonio Brown directly before we see a shot of the two of them walking up to each other to start a practice. <laughs> you, it's, you, you don't know how they're going to react, but then they're going to dap each other up, and it's going to be really Suspense, great. Suspense, but then they'll dap. So the juxtaposition, that's at 4-1. to one. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Give this, me another one. This is my number one the lock I'm so excited about, but okay. I'm also guaranteed. The Mona Lisa of Images. We are going to see Mark Davis with a hard hat on in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas. He's going to have a bowl cut with a hard hat on overseeing the Vegas stadium. It's going to be beautiful. And an open field, and there'll be just some extraneous pointing and maybe some blueprints. Do you think think the hard hat will be Raiders branded? 
Oh, or oh, generic. It will be a black hard hat okay. with a Raiders logo. Logo right on the, the hard hat. Thousand percent. Oh, that's so good. I went uh, in on that action. I am also. I'm hoping to see this. <laughs> if you haven't read the article about Mark Davis that came out about two years ago, apparently multiple times a week he goes to a PF Chang's near yep. his house. Yep. And he sits at the end of the bar and he just lays out newspapers and iced coffee. <laughs> and when someone calls and asks where he is, he says, "I'm in my office." <laughs> and then looks at the bartender, goes, "Gets him every time." He says it every fucking time. I need that kind of killer line. I need that. I think also relating to the PF Changs at about a hundred to one. I think Schreiber will hit us with, um, and Mark Davis's new wide receiver Antonio Brown is much like his pork, both sweet and sour. And that they're off and running. I think we're going to get a pork joke based on front. We have Schreiber, hundred to one. I have a left go lock parlay. <laughs> what do you got? These are different images you will see during Hard Knocks at two to one showing Gruden's alarm clock and or the clock in his car. Yep. Image number two at three to one. Gruden's office light on from the outside with every other office <laughs> off. Image number three at five you know to one. Gruden in his office under a spotlight like a fucking film noir holding a clicker. <laughs> Just It's the only thing on yes. his office is yes. a beam of light. So the whole parlay, 70 to one. Pretty good. You need all of those? You got to hit all three of those images. <sighs> A clock in the car or at the house, him sitting in a silhouette, and then an outside shot of a darkened building with one lit office. Okay. I'm going to add a couple. Okay. I think that the, uh, the shot of the alarm clock, I think will be, um, it'll end in a 59. And, like, and I'll tell you why. Oh, that's funny. People who are wake-up snobs, I get up really early, but I know wake-up snobs. And I know this guy once who said, um, I set my alarm for 3.59 so I can tell people I wake up before 4 a.m. That slight little thing. I think it's going to be 59. I also think that there's going to be him and Mike Mayock standing in front of that depth chart, both hands on the hips. Great. <sighs> sigh. And then into, into faded and next week on Hard Knocks. Hands on the hip side for both of them in the 359 alarm. You are all over this. You know the show well. All right. I also have two awards, and I want you to know, I, I want your input. My first one is I have three candidates for the Bob Wiley Award, which is the most unexpected coaching star. <laughs> Number three, special teams coach Ritz Basaccia. He was with Gruden in Tampa Bay. Okay. Super character. I've met him before. He's like an Italian joke artist. He's Perfect. hilarious. Okay. Number two. Strength trainer, Deuce Gruden. Yeah. John's son. I, that's why he's number two. But my number one is actually underrated. Defensive line coach, Brenson Buckner. <laughs> if you watched All or Nothing with the Arizona Cardinals, yeah. he was the star of that one. And it's his first year there, and they have to replace Khalil Mack. So I feel like they're going to be with him, with Cleveland Farrell a lot, sure. like giving speeches. Yeah. But I'm curious what happens with Deuce on this show. The son of the coach. It could get weird. There is usually that I love this topic because there is the breakout star that you would never expect. And like that is all HBO shows. If it's if it's Braun from Game of Thrones or anybody, uh Polly Walnuts from The Sopranos. Sure. But also I think in reality shows like that Kristen Cavallari thing, like Cutler is the breakout star. Absolutely. Um I think it's the fascinating thing here, and I think that Deuce Gruden, I don't know what his rap is. I don't know. But put six thousand pounds on the hip sled and he'll put it up and I'm in. He yes. like he dwarfs the players so Do you everyone think he'll wants say to say anything him. in the interviews about his dad 
You know what I mean? Maybe revealing like what it's like to grow up Gruden, that right. type of thing. Are we going to get a taste of that? I would think so. I would Growing hope so. up Gruden sounds really Isn't tough. that good? Really Uncle Jay comes and visits and he's drunk in the corner and everything. Jay Gruden was awesome on this. Your you dad this is a fucking lunatic. Dude. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. See, look at the size of the hog on your dad. I don't know where he got that. I didn't have that. It, was, it must have been switched at birth. I mean, he'll have jokes like that. The Gruden family, I don't think, messes around. The Charles James Award for yeah. the most unexpected player star. Sure. Number three, we're going to get a lot of Hunter Renfro, the really white wide receiver from Clemson that oh, looks like yeah. he's a 42-year-old stepdad. Yeah, he's the hair issue, and yes. he looks like a substitute teacher or a stepdad. Dad coming up, excited to be at this practice. <laughs> That'll be a good one. Hunter Renfro is the guy your mom is dating, right, and new in your life, and he brings Don't you a little present. Don't go anywhere. I have something for that in a second. <laughs> okay. My number two, Jonathan Abram, uh, our favorite player on this show. Uh, I am rooting for him from the time he gets drafted until now. Uh, uh, Jonathan Abram is going to talk his way. And number one, Josh Jacobs, mm -hmm. the running back that they're going to make a movie after. And he lived in his car and all that. that. Yeah. Their, HBO is going to try and do that movie in this show. You know what? You're right. They're going to try and take it. it. They'll tell the story. Yes. Because we had him on the show, too. And when every single time, I'm sure he's told in every interview, it's fantastic. It it's kills. unbelievable. I know. And HBO, they always have a heart in this Hard Knocks. It's not always just about swearing and, no. and Gunther Cunningham. There's always that really special little chronicle. Now, remember last month. year, it was the uh, the tight end that had the crystals, mm -hmm. whose dad was having like constant heart attacks. Yes. They spent more on that than anybody else the entire time. That was the star Could in the sense. But they find it. I just... It's surreal to me that we're actually getting this. Like, I remember, like, struggling through the Dave Campbell Cowboys and Marv Lewis. Buffalo and, like, Bills or some shit. It's just like, this is the one we've been waiting for all these years. You know what I mean? It's finally here. Like, I... Rex Ryan Jets was great. I mean, it was fantastic. Amazing. So good. That kind of brought it back. I just, if they realize there's so much content, give us more episodes. I know. Don't it, just sit on six. Same as Game of Thrones. Six episodes. Give us eight yeah, or nine. Fuck it, man. I wish we could do it. That's why the All or Nothing people love because it's the whole season, but that ain't the home box office. I wish they did so many. All right. So you mentioned stepdads. Yeah. Uh, do you I have been, one? I, been, I do not. No, oh, I do. I've been doing this. Oh, you are very qualified for this then. Okay. I have been doing something each week, a different quarterback rankings. So when the beer chugging thing happened, yep. I ranked them one through 32. Uh, Kirk Cousins was last. <laughs> then last week I did, if you put all of the NFL quarterbacks into a Hunger Games, how would they finish? I love this. I had Carson Wentz, number one, being the hunter. Last I had Marcus Mariota because I don't, even if he's athletic enough to survive, I think he got, God, guys, can't we stop this? And he dies. Cut it out. This week, okay. I am doing NFL quarterback stepdad rankings. As in, which quarterback would you most want to be your stepdad if you got one? I already know my one. I'm not going to perfect. Don't say it. Yeah, I won't. I won't. My my producer uh, David Ingber, that you know very well, sure, yeah, Harvard said, man. said that there's three considerations that we must have. They must treat your mom great. They won't try to replace dad, and they'll take you on some fun day trips. Yes, that sounds good. My two early favorites. I'm going to give you mine first. I want to hear yours. Okay. My two early on favorites are Marcus Mariota, because I believe he's an incredible stepdad. He'd go, listen to your mother. He'd step back. you get trips to Hawaii. It's mm -hmm, pretty great. Mm -hmm. The other one is Russell Wilson. And the main reason is we're seeing him do it already. He's an amazing stepdad yeah. right now for that future son. wild. And... Think about it. He's he's cool. He's he wants to do everything. He shows up to ballet. Those are my two early favorites. You apparently have a different one. 
I, I do like Mariota because also there's a consideration of like this man is he's being intimate with my mother, and you'd want someone who's a gentleman. Yes, right? you want someone who's gentle. Have to be a gentleman. Yeah, like I, you know, I, there's some guys I don't want it to be. They might I, be unranked. I know. Who yeah, I'm not even gonna say their names because yeah. it's insulting. Um, I, give me Fitzpatrick, man. That was Ingris pick. <laughs> me, he said Ryan Fitzpatrick too. Give me Fitzpatrick. Too. Um, been through it all. Dad jokes. Cool beard. He'll mess with you a little bit, but he'll also teach you a few things. He basically is a stepdad right now for Josh Rosen, isn't he'll get, he? He'll give you your first Coors original banquet yeah, beer. Yeah, he'll crack it for you. Nice crispy boy. If yeah. you need to smoke a little J, he'll give you that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think Fitzpatrick has been it all. I, I love that guy. I mean, Phil Rivers is an interesting one because he's Phil, the father to many. But This is the thing. I think he It's not just ship. about the dad. Yeah. If Philip Rivers becomes your stepdad, you now have nine siblings. I don't need that. That's what I'm saying. No. So Philip Rivers, oh, he's a great, yeah, but guess what? Now I have nine brothers and sisters. Yeah. And Philip Rivers could another... never do it because the art of being a stepdad is you have to know your boundaries. Like, I'm kind right. of this kid's dad, but not really. So Rivers has always been the dad. He's the alpha. Fitzpatrick has been a backup on 50 different. Yes. You're a backup. The stepdad is, you're the backup. So Will you Tom Brady know his boundaries with you or are you getting a kiss <laughs> smack on the lips? That's something you need to factor <laughs> a in. A long, passionate kiss. Now, yeah, I mean, I'll take it. But I'll take a kiss from the list from Brady right now. Hoyer would be a good stepdad. Yeah. All the backups so would be great, people, but you're talking so about So starting quarterbacks with backup experience. That's what it is. Interesting. Yeah, yeah because Kirk Cousins, the problem there is you're going to get so many speeches. Kyle, <laughs> have you heard of the phrase compound interest? <laughs> Fucking A. Leave me alone. See, Kirk Cousins is arguably my favorite quarterback in the league as a, as a character. Oh, I love Kirk Cousins as a character. The pebbles and counting life and mortality. And like, just, like, he wears croquis on his sunglasses and like the zinc oxide on his <laughs> nose. He has a fanny pack. I love it's it. He's very stepdad. He is. He's 30 going on like 46. Like Every suburban dad and he's aware of it. Yeah. I'm interested in your beer chugging rankings because 32, you think he's slower than all those yeah, guys. Yeah, Eli at 31. Uh, and then I had the guys that I know like don't drink beer, like Mariota doesn't drink down there. Well, there's Christians, too, that probably yeah, don't of course. drink beer. Yeah, like Derek Carr was like 27 for me. You know what's fascinating? I had Eli way up at the top. Oh, I just did that to fuck with Eli because I'm an Eagles fan. <laughs> yeah. See, him and Breeze are frat boys. I looked right. this up. Both and he went to boys. Ole Miss. Yeah, and... I'm sure he could put it down. Plus, yeah. he's a competitor. Drew Breeze would be a great stepdad, though. Yeah, he would. He'd be a really good one. He's doing a thing now. I posted on Instagram where he's showing all his boys the classic sports movies. And, like, it's kind of pissing me uh, off. Wait, Adam, are you a father? I am not. Okay. I am a father of two. And it's my five-year-old son doesn't want to watch anything I want to watch, doesn't care, wants to watch crap on YouTube and everything. <laughs> Breeze is like, he's posting on Instagram, just showing my boys uh, it, Field of Dreams and Hoosiers. And I'm like, your kids are watching that? That's but, incredible. He's like, now I'm going to show them Rocky. The original Rocky is not an easy watch. It's it not very long. entertaining. It's slow as hell. And his kids are like, yeah, we like it. It's like, screw you, Drew Brees. How are you that good of a dad that your kids could actually sit through that stuff? How, how you? old's your oldest? Five. Yeah, but when did it hit you? When did sports hit you? It, I began to understand it at like seven or eight. Yeah. Like my dad says, that was a time where I looked at an Eagles game and I said, who's 57? And he went... Oh, you're into it now. Mm -hmm. Like, th that's when it hit me. 85 bears for me. I mean, I grew oh, up yeah. in Chicago, so... So you were like was? six or seven. Yeah. And the fridge was like, that was made for kids. It was like the mm. perfect introduction to football. Football I was a kid in the fridge, and he was in G.I. Joe. That was my guy. Mine was seven. It was the wild thing. Mitch Williams. Of course. Fall off I, the mound. You 93 so Phillies. And it was the mullets. Like, that was the team that got me to love sports. How did Joe Carter make you feel about sports? 
That was, <laughs> you know, that was uh, the first time I cried because of sports. I had my yeah. babysitter there. Is that I right? I don't know where my parents were. Right. I know my dad went to a game in Toronto that series and got a ball signed by the Fanatic. Oh, no kidding. And that signature was like the best thing ever. Cute. Well, you got to understand, as a guy who grew up in Philadelphia, born and raised, I'm a Philadelphia. I love the Fanatic. Oh. Mitch Williams, <laughs> Nails Dykstra. Those are my guys in Philly. Lenny Dykstra was my guy. <laughs> of course. So were you, was Walter, was Sweetness your number one? Yeah, he was, was when it? I was a you, little kid. You seemed like a Jim McMahon guy. Big time punky QB. It was my first Halloween costume. Number nine, the, you know, the Roselle, Band, yeah. the bandette. It was very cool. Sunglasses. Sunglasses. And then you find come to find out there was all these urban myths about why he had the sunglasses. And he's even said it. I stabbed myself in the eyeball with a fork. The story is he had a knot. He was playing Cowboys and Indians. And he had um, like a holster or something. And he was trying to get a knot out of the string. So he went and got a fork like a kid would. And put it in and tried to pull it out and then stabbed himself oh in God. fucking eyeball, man. And that's why I always wear sunglasses. That's that's the story from the Punky QB himself. Perfect quarterback for Buddy Ryan and Mike Dick. Can you imagine? Perfect. Can you imagine? There's so much 85 nostalgia right now because the Bears just had their whole deal. Yes. I think it's kind of lost on us as someone like in the media now that the Chicago Bears dropped a music video before the playoffs began about how we're going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if the Browns did that this year or anybody, the reaction that would be and the takes? They did it. And then they shut out the first two games and won the Super Bowl, like five touchdowns. It was amazing. I, I feel that way about also the current NBA and the current NFL, where certain things that the NFL, if it just doesn't get the same attention. I know. You know, like Le'Veon Bell just dropped a rap album. I know. And no, no one deal. gave a fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fine. And he yeah. sat out a year and was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Back then, that shit was incredible. Wait, you are you have an obsession with one player. I have an obsession with Brian Dawkins. That The one time I did meet him, I freaked out, and I told him that he was all of my passwords on all of my computers. Is that true? It was like Doc20 or something? All, my screen, my AIM screen X. name was Doc for MVP. Oh, but yeah. That was sure. your... Boom, boom. That, yeah, that was my, oh my like, God, away boy. message. I hear you that you have that with uh, Deion Sanders. Yeah. Um, I, I went. I was with my dad in 1991, and we went to New Orleans because we were going to the Sugar Bowl, which was the Rick Meyer Notre Dame versus Shane Matthews Florida Gators. My dad's an Irish alum, so I grew up Notre Dame. We were there a week early for vacation, and there just happened to be a playoff game that day. It was the wild card round, Falcons versus the Saints, and I went, and Dion had an interception, and he lateraled it, and like this is you could maybe understand this. I know I can. For me, this white kid from the suburbs, to see this athlete with the long legs and the chains and the bandana, it was the coolest thing I had ever seen. And the Jerry curl. Yeah. That it wasn't like um it wasn't easy E for me or Tupac or anything. Like Dion was my I felt like brought me into hip hop and being like the coolest athlete of all time. And after you I saw that, a I was bandana obsessed. playing football because of him, right? Wore a bandana until my, to my coach told me to take that shit off or you're off the team. Um, I used to try to wear one under my baseball hat, even in Little League. I had every one of his jerseys. Um, I mean, that includes, like, the Redskins jersey, the Cincinnati Reds jersey. I had wow. all of them. I was obsessed. And I still have not met Dion, even though we work on the same network. And I kind of don't want to. It's him. never happened. I've, I've been two tables over from him. And he's sitting here having a cup of coffee by himself. You know why? It's, I believe in that don't meet your heroes thing, man. I do. Have you met anyone that's really disappointed you? Yeah. Because you've been in this business for a long time, and you were on the Jim Rome show, which no. was like, you guys talked to fucking everybody. You meet everybody, especially Radio Row, Super Bowl, you're there. Um, How about this one? We're yeah. going to balance it out. Okay. Give me, I'll do it too, so that you're not on this island by I got yourself. one that disappointed, one that disappointed you, and that one that like really pleasantly surprised you. All right. Well, I mean, the one that disappointed me, I can't say his name. Mine was Dan Marino. 
Disappointed you? Yes. Why? Because I grew up on Ace Ventura, Dan Marino. I got, I thought. Who that he, are you? Yes. <laughs> and it, there's sometimes where people walk in and they they act like you're a burden, and I'm like, you're being paid to be here right now, like. And so for me, it was like the whole energy. And then there was a second time where I met him and it was the same thing. And so for me, it was like, I also, Donovan McNabb's up there with me too. Donovan McNabb was when I was like 14, 15 years old. And it was after AI sent the Sixers to the championship and he wouldn't give me an autograph. And as a kid, that fucks you up. Is it hard being a Philly sports fan in your relationship with Donovan up to including this minute? I mean, it's been difficult. I, I think it's so much more in depth. It's so much about race in Philadelphia. It's a lot about that era. It's a lot about the fact that T.O. came in and put a spotlight on him about how he wasn't real. You know, you have T.O., this unabashed truth teller, and Donovan that goes, I don't talk about shit. And T.O. said, well, the reason you don't talk about shit is because you're playing the company line. Yeah. And the city split at that moment. Mm-hmm. And I was a T.O. guy. I mean, I'm a big T.O. guy, too. I just, like, McNabb, he's from Chicago, Mount Carmel, everything. Yes. He was, like, destined to do great things and run the country and whatever it means. Really bright yeah. future. Football was football, and now it's, like, the DUIs, and, like, he's yeah. talking to TMZ Sports about yeah. how he should be in the Hall of Fame. And it's, I feel like, Donovan, you're better than it's that. Weird. Like, it should have gone better than that. That's weird. Um, All right, so who's your I got your answer. All right, so I have to couch it. I'm a huge unironic, unapologetic fan of Guy Fieri. Huge fan. Guy Fieri, as he pronounces it. Um, I, I love Triple D. It's my escapism on a Friday. I sit down and pour a huge martini at the end of the week, and I watch him eat garbage if and If they asked you to do a guest episode, you that would be such 100%. an honor. I love that show. It's, it's a great show. I love it. I got to meet Guy after years of watching it, and we had gone back and forth a little bit because he was a Raiders fan. I got to meet him in a suite at the Super Bowl. This is the Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl a couple ago. And I was really excited, and he was really cool to me. And my wife was there, and Guy works a little blue, or a lot, at least that day. And there were a bunch of jokes, which I liked, that like I, I think that my wife was like, I think I'm going to meet back at our street. It was, it was about my endowment and all that type of yeah. stuff. And I was like, I'm into that guy, but like this is my wife, and she was just gone. So I'm sure if you heard that, he'd be very embarrassed. But since then, whenever I do Triple D on the, at home now, Brooke has to like go watch something else. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no. Which I'm here for the dick jokes. Fine. I'll make it myself. But like it was the first meeting with my wife. That's and, like, amazing. Maybe that's just how he it's is. It's like expecting Danny Tanner, but instead you're getting the full fledged jokes. Sam Kinnison. You, know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It was the real thing. What's amazing about that is when you meet <laughs> Guy Fieri, yeah. you expect him to be the jovial, like Bam Bam Bigelow clothes wearing, like friendly guy. <laughs> but he, in his mind, is a superstar. Yeah. And I've seen him walk into clubs in L.A. where Travis Scott is on stage and James Harden's got a table. Yeah. And Guy Fieri walked through and he thinks he's bigger than both of them. And and it's to me, it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. But I guess he really is because people were fucking freaking out when Guy Fieri was. They love him. In. They want a piece of him. He just got a star on the Walk of Fame. I, I'm, full disclosure, I was just texting with Guy Fieri the other day. Oh, you I swear to God. And because I saw that he has a star, and I just said, dude, I'm proud of you. Congratulations. Text me right back, on and on. You know, you want a funny thing about Guy? And I know yes, everyone I has opinions know. about that. So one Guy time, Fieri. it's incredible. And it's Fieri. Fieri. Um, one time he called me because he had been on the show, and he said, I heard it was great, and left me a voicemail. Call me back. So I called Guy, 
And what's so funny is that he still has one of those ringbacks. Remember ringbacks? No. Where instead of what the phone, did it's he like, pick? please hold while your party is reached. And it's just. No, no, bullshit. It would say, it Go would on. say, what it would say, um, it would say uh, something to the effect of, while you wait for, like, Kyle, <laughs> enjoy this song. And it would be like Chameleonaire. Do you, do what, knowing Guy and Guy's brand, I don't know if you've ever met him. What do you think the song was? Hit the motor running. I don't know. <laughs> Head it's not the far away. It, it was not born to be wild. It was ACDC back in black. And then it just ends. He goes, Kyle. And I'm talking to the guy. <laughs> and it's so funny. Here's what's even better. This is what a super fan I am. I saved his number in my phone. And in the listing in my phone, I got all the little emojis. I have a little red car and then like a burger and a French fry and a beer and like all of like what, you know, triple D stuff. And every once in a while, we'll text, and I'm still a huge fan. But he has the back and black ring back. And it was so cool. I was that's so awesome. that's thrilled great that intel, isn't that? Uh, that's guy. So um, I was talking before about how you've lived so many lives. Mm-hmm. The reason that I appreciate you and I appreciate Nate so much is that both of you can really do anything. And my struggle as I've kind of come through this business is I never knew how to like people be like, well, what do you do? I know. And I'd be like, I fucking do everything. Or what like, do you want to do? I know. And you go, I don't know, I haven't I don't know if it exists yet. I know. Like people ask you that question all the time and I feel like I give a terrible answer. You're supposed to, you know, you, you get taught, you got to have your elevator speech. In in 20 seconds you should be able to say exactly what you want to do with your life. And people say sometimes you're in a maybe in a room of someone of influence or you're t- doing a work meeting. So what do you want to do? Or what do you want to do in 5 years? And uh, I always feel like my answer is terrible, meandering, and slow. I was I was emailing once with Bill Simmons when he was putting together The Ringer. Sure. And I grew up Simmons, like yeah, a massive, massive fan. And I think he asked me a straight up question about what do you like? What do you want to do in five years? Where do you see yourself? And I've t- I said this to him on his podcast. My answer was so pretentious and pathetic. I was like, I think I was like 35 at the time, and I'm like, well, you know, uh, I want to be um, the voice of the 30-something-year-old man in America. <laughs> and that's how I sent that. And I was like, what kind of douchebag says that about himself? But he's like, no, it was a good answer. He lied. But like, I feel like I do have trouble answering it's that question. It's fucking hard. And it's so egotistical of me because the reason I I have trouble answering it because I just have so many skills. I don't know where to put them. That's a lie. But you struggle with it too? I think it's because the main thing is the difference between producing and being on camera. Okay. Because on camera gives you that rush, right? Where you're performing, but you're also, it's like, it feels good to get it out. But also you just like talking and you Mm -hmm. like having good conversation. But the producing aspect of it, the sitting in a room and coming up with ideas and coming up with concepts and building a show and stacking a rundown and landing that interview, like that shit feels fucking good too. Mm -hmm. And I think one makes the other so much better. And I can see when I watch Good Morning Football, your influence. I can feel it. Like I know a Jim Rome bit type of thing that I used to listen to on Good Morning Football. Like I can see it. So that's why I think it's hard to to pick one side. It is. There, There is a really sweet satisfaction from being in that production side. And like a specific example will be, let's say you're having a guest come on whatever show you're producing and you're in charge of coming up with the questions. When the host asks your question and gets a great reaction from the guest, it's a high. It's a natural high. I mean, I remember one time Ronda Rousey on the way up when she was just blowing up and just starting to tap chicks out all the time. 
I, there was a question I found deep, deep, deep in her Twitter feed about how she was way into Candy Crush or something. I guess Candy Crush was on the way up, too. Yeah. And Jim asked her this question about Candy Crush, and she, like, exploded laughing. It was clearly taken aback that in all these interviews she had done, no one had asked her that. And I felt like I got a natural high from that. Yeah. I really, really did. And I don't know if someone watching understands what that's like, but it really is cool. Uh so my history with Jim Rome, my first job out of college uh, was in Hastings, Nebraska. So this is 2008 to 2010. This is years like two to four of you. Okay, I was with Rome there for sure. Yeah. And there was no local talk radio. And mm -hmm. if there was, all they were talking about was Nebraska football and I couldn't handle it. So the only station I had that was national was some Fox regional that got Jim Rome. Right. And I had no idea what the fuck I was listening to for right. those first two months. Throw me a <laughs> vine like karma. And then I heard the smack off. And you I did? said, I said, this is my entrance into media. And I would sit in my living room as a news general assignment news reporter in Nebraska. Yeah. And I would write down what my smack off take was going to be. Okay. And I sat there and I was, and I, I never fucking called, but it was my plan all along was to be the JT, the brick, like come in there and, and just destroy the fucking smack. Why off. would Adam and Hastings from Hastings never a thing? Do you, do you look back and regret that? Um, you planned the call and you had your angle and you're sure you would have been great. Like, yeah. Why did you never call? I don't know, dude. That did you ever happen. Did you ever like, pick up the phone, dial? Oh, or just... I, I think I dialed and it was like a busy signal a few times. And I was just like, you took this... it as a sign. Yeah, I was like, it's just not going to happen. And I was like, you know what? Like, let me focus on getting out of Nebraska first and I'll just do this the right way. I'm not going <laughs> to. I wonder, because you know, but people I who have done the, the smack off, off. It, they've it's propelled them into yeah. actual careers and jobs. And JT the Brick's perfect example. If you would have called and won the smack off, you would have been on the map, and then you would have been a thing. I would have. I did not have the tools back then. You didn't think you had that winning call? No, no. no I look back then, and I know I didn't. I, I was wonder what your takes were on in two thousand eight. It was, it was it, like Lindsey Vaughn and Bo Pelini. I don't even so know. So <laughs> you know my rap cast and all that stuff. I know it well. So just like you do with highlights, where you would weave in, I just took so many references from the show, like Rache Caldwell's eyes, great like reference, shit like that. And I just every fucking line was one. So I built it the that same. That sounds great. Way. Yeah, and it just never fucking happened. I gotta give you credit for those casts, the rap, rap you, casts. You like them a little bit. And not only do I like them, I feel like we've ripped them off. We do them in Good Morning Football. Yeah. I, I got a chance to host Rome's TV show on CBS Sports Network when he was out once. And you did like a Han Solo thing, right? I did, God, you really did look me up. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did the Han Solo. But and another thing, I did what you did, mentioning as many times as possible. But my brilliant idea, or so I thought, was I weaved in as many sports blogs as possible so that I thought they would pick it up and do a blog on it, which they sort of did. Yeah. But... That shit was so good, man. And I, the one for me, it wasn't the rap cast. It was the wrestle cast. And you start off, and I like it's so funny and so time-stamped that you're doing Teddy Bridgewater college yes. highlights. Yes, And I remember listening to it, and it was like, all right, you start off, he's the ultimate warrior. What a macho man. All right, those are entry level. And then you said the defense in Chicago beware. And I'm like, and now we got something. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. when we got to Doink the Cloud, I'm like, this guy's playing on a different level. Yeah, I yeah, really yeah. thought they were cool. This inspired me. That. I mean that. Uh, well, the, the, the funny thing is, is anytime someone does it now, I, my Twitter mentions blow up. Yeah. And also there's this one website called like Hip Hop XL that like every two months, it's like 
crazy white people doing the news that did rap references, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I'm always number one. Is that right? And so people are like, oh, shit, I didn't know you were this guy. Yeah. So I get that throwback. A lot out. of, uh, what is the go-to white person rap reference? I I think it's 99 Problems, but something, something isn't one. I mean, oh, that's that, a like, very that like white people say. Yeah, they like, like, or, or like get off your shoulder or add Izzle that to a, a word. That's one, too. Izzle was very problematic <laughs> for a very long time. Very, like turn of the century, too. Tough time. For shizzle, my drizzle. Yeah, there's so much of that stuff. Mm. Damn, there are so many. 99 problems, but a blank But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Gary Payton alley-oop pass to Sean Kemp. It's the easiest yeah. thing to finish. My biggest question about your career is your trajectory was going in one direction so fucking hard. Real world mm -hmm. into acting and on camera and then you hit the emergency brake yeah. so fucking hard and went and became a producer on the Jim Rome show. I've heard the stories. Yeah. He reached out to Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker said, no, you got to check out my guy in California. Yeah. He's a little different, but check him out. I've read that you were, you, or I was watching that you were going on all these auditions for all these movies and you kind of thought you had a chance for Knight Rider, was it? Yeah, they were doing a Knight Rider reboot with a new car. It lasted like five seconds. And yes. I advanced a couple times, and, and I'm when, like, this is going to be it. And when that fell through, that was the last thing. The whole time, though, were you wanting to work in sports? Was it like that was the calling, or you just knew that acting wasn't going to be the sauce for you? I think sports is like the backup plan. Like they say, you know, Robin Williams used to always say, "Learn to, di to dig ditches," like because your acting is not going to work out. Like sports was the backup plan. Um, I w I wanted to be the movie star. I wanted to be Matt Damon. All of that things, and then. You know, at the end of the soap opera, it, here, here's what happens. You do a, I did Days of Our Lives for three and a half years. And everybody leaves the soap at least once to try to become the movie star. And I left and I just, it just never, ever happened. And you start, you're not making any money. And the checking balance just goes down, 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 yeah. down, down. Until I heard from Rome unsolicited. My rock bottom wasn't even Knight Rider. It was, um, I got a job hosting some sort of weird infomercial, and I'm not making this up, with Jose Canseco. And he came in on his motorcycle with his girlfriend, and we were hawking products like a GPS system that goes on your motorcycle and a golf ball tracker. And I was like, I, ha I have an education. Like, I, I, what, what am I doing here with I Jose Canseco? For, yeah. I, I, I think I made like $1,000 maybe for like a two-day shoot, just terrible. That's I'm like, I got to reevaluate this thing. It's not working. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, you've heard this. I, I just I started going to the Playboy Mansion a lot, which sounds really cool, but like I felt like a loser, like a, a douche, really. I mean that. In what way? It's cool to go to the Playboy Mansion once. It is. You grow up hearing the stories and Charlie yeah. Sheen and James Caan. Like to start going time after time after time again. I was so to the, the point, first time you're like, this is magical. I made it. I'm going to tell all my friends this is unbelievable. There's the grotto and there's the the monkey cage and this is where I heard this happen and there used to be a pile of blow here and this actor is. I made it. But then you get to the point where as you walk up to the bar, the bartender already knows your drink order because you've been there so many times. I mean, how many times can you belly up with Adrian Grenier and Bill Maher and Craig Kilborn and Pauly Shore? It's like, it's the same crew every single time. And I still feel like, this is pathetic. I don't even have a job. Even these people are all very successful and they're doing and like, I don't have a job. I barely have any money. I don't have a girlfriend. I got to do something else. It's, mm. It gets it gets pretty lame. So I want to sit in a dark, musty radio room and produce sports talk. Like that's the part that's, it's such a humbling reset. It is. Like, what were you doing for the Jim Rowe show in, like, the first few months? I mean, I was doing a lot of things. That the most humbling was, like, 
I was just above a call screener. And I don't mean to disrespect call screeners, but it's a springboard to do bigger things. Like, I remember it was new at the time that you could text the radio show. If you text 37170, and I was screening texts, like it would come in and someone would have a funny take on, I don't know, whoever it may be, um, Jake Plummer. And, and I would be like, oh, this is great. And I would hand it to Rome and maybe he would read it, maybe he wouldn't. And then in the morning, you know, I would give him ideas about maybe we should talk about uh, Devin George and what he said last night, which sounds like a terrible idea. But that was the kind of stuff I was coming up with. But uh, wake up at four in the morning, drive from the valley in Burbank, 50 miles down to Orange County where he works, and then drive 50 miles back. Single, not a lot of money, and like super, super humbled. But I think it like it cut a toughness groove in me. I and do. Because I got humbled big time. When did that, when did, did you ever, do you remember the moment where Jim kind of looked at you and you were like, I am going to be a big part of this guy's show? Like it, it kind of, like. yeah. The first joke we had was I had had a blog at the time. Just when I was an unemployed actor, I kept a blog. That was a cool thing to do in 2007. And um, I wrote a blog once that I used to work out in the Valley at, at Bally's in the Studio City. And one time I was running on the treadmill and I looked to my right and the guy running next to me on the treadmill next to me was Carl Lewis. And I was like, what the hell is Carl Lewis? And the best part is I was going faster than Carl Lewis. Like he was at like 5.5 and I was at 6.5. I was like dust. I was Ben Johnsoning Carl Lewis without the roids. And I did this whole blog about this. And Rome's like, that shit was hysterical. The Carl Lewis blog. I liked that situation. And I, when we did a big meeting and I said, I don't know what kind of guy this is. He runs really intense. I need an icebreaker. And we walk in. And Rome's got a really cool office, corner office and everything. And if you walk to the window, there was a view of this of the restaurant Soup Plantation. You know, I don't know if you know Soup Plantation, they have them there. It sounds terrible, but it's a place that's a salad bar with soup. And I just said, like, wow, man, I know you've really made it when you got a view of the Soup Plantation. Like, I took a shot. Yeah. And he just laughed and ran with it, and then we were off riffing. So, like, if that had fallen flat or if he was insulted mm. or something, it wouldn't have been it. But we had the same sense of humor, same work ethic. I consider him, like, a friend to this day. Oh, how can you not? I mean, yeah. you guys worked together for, what, eight, nine years? Yeah, exactly right. And how big was it when you got there? Like the show was it massive, a- massive. Was it? I mean, it was it was a sensation. Then it was like Rome had had the biggest contract ever, the most affiliates ever. He was on the ESPN afternoon block at the time when PTI was huge. Did and you get the horn. positive reinforcement from his fans when you would guest host in the beginning, or did you have to kind of because they were not? Yeah, like they were. They would tell you the truth. Big time. It was hard. I remember the first time I'd never hosted any radio show on any level uh, since in my Fisher Price tape recorder in like fifth grade. Um, and I hosted The Jungle. Three hours, single host, no Baba Booey, no Danettes, yeah. none of that. It's just you and you can't stop talking, like no matter what. And, so- I, and I imagine Jim is so set in, like he does it the same way. I know. That how do you not try and do it similar? Because you're like that's what these people like, but I also have to be myself. Like that's a mind fuck. Bro. Yeah, the best. I think the easiest way was that I sat there and watched him for like three years, maybe before I hosted. I, so I could kind of emulate him by giving it my own thing. I'll never forget like first show, first hour, first segment. What is your take? What's the topic? And you just pray for the content gods to give you something good. And I picked some, ter- it was like a Klitschko fight. No one gave a shit about Klitschko, but it was my strongest take, so I led with it. And I think what helped me is that most of the content, if, if even if they don't care about you, they care about making fun of you. So at the end of the first segment, I read a stack of emails about how terrible it's going and everything, and I can self-deprecate with the best yeah, of them, yeah, like yeah, I know yeah. you can. Yeah. So I survived somehow. I remember it was, 
it was Matt Money Smith, who was a prolific radio host. Sure. He told me a story once the first time he hosted radio. He's like, it was, you know, a two-hour show, and I had about eight hours of content. I was set. And 20 minutes on the first hour was completely out of content. I, I ate it all up. So I came with, like, days and days yes. of content. It's the yeah. only way to do it. Oh, I used to do, when I would do radio in Louisville, and I would go in there, there was one day where I almost overslept, and on my way in, I was like, I, I, not only have I not prepared, like, I'm completely frazzled. Yeah. And it was the day that LeBron bumped into Eric, um, who was their head coach? Spolster. Spolster. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And I went on, and I'm in Kentucky, and I went, John Calipari is going to be the coach of the Miami Heat next oh, that's year. Great. He's go and then the phone line awesome. blew up, that's and so I good. was like... I was so fucking relieved, but I've churned through content so fast, and you look and you're like, I've done 12 minutes. I know. Like, what the fuck? I have two and a half hours left to go, and I don't know about you, but like, I talk really fast, and then when I'm nervous, I talk like a ludicrous speed. It's just a habit that I have, so you, you gotta just slow down, man. You gotta make that thing work, and I didn't have the seven. I didn't have my 10,000 hours. I had 10 minutes. You know what I mean? I didn't know what I was doing, and there it was. You shouldn't... It was like going from playing stickball in the yard to like batting third at Yankee Stadium. There, there was no triple A no. or single A, and somehow I survived. Had to make the transition to Good Morning Football easier, though. Big time, dude. Had to. Yeah, I mean, it's Good Morning Football. Simple. There's four of us. I don't have to talk that much. Right. I say my little bit about Dak Prescott, and then Burleson drones on for 20 minutes. It's easy. It's yeah. A, I don't have to, single host. Single host radio. You can do anything. I know. I don't know if radio is considered a lost art or a fading art. I don't know, but like those radio hosts is Broadway, man. That, that's a one man show. Those are the most talented people. Did you Did you know Good Morning Football was going to work right away? Hell no. No, no, no. The craziest thing about Good Morning Football. In the sh the short version is it, it was conceived very rapidly. There were no auditions. There was no chemistry test. When you make a new show, maybe you have one person that you know you're going to build around. Right. You do a series of auditions and you do chemistry tests where you put your known person with two or three auditioners and you give them a topic and you hash it out and you see, oh, they have a connection. Right. Before we were under contract and sitting down the go, I'd never met Kay Adams. I'd never met Nate Burleson. I didn't know Peter Schrager at all. And it was like we're on the NFL Network where everyone has a gold jacket, and if they don't, they have a Super Bowl ring or yes. both. And here's Peter, who's never played it down to football on any level. Kyle, who didn't sniff the pros. And Nate, who was a really good player, but he's not Marshall Falk or right. LaDainian Tomlinson. And then you had Kay. So, like, it was a terrible idea in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I didn't know that I was going to even be on the show until, like, Maybe two weeks before it even started, and I was living in L.A. with my newborn baby and her toddler. It was nuts, man. Absolutely insane. Wow. Yeah. When did you realize this has a chance? Um, I think for me, I think for me it was the first time I talked to Nate. Like Nate is, is, is a different breed, man. There's thousands, it feels like, of former athletes yeah. who do media and... They're all great. Some of them are great. I knew Nate was different when he told the story about the first time when he was with the Minnesota Vikings and they traded Randy Moss. Now, Nate had 1,000 yards the year before as the number two. And he was like on the way up, star player in the making. And they came to him and they said, we traded Randy. You're the number one now. And Nate's response was, you guys are crazy. I'm not the number one. I'm not, what, 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 you traded Randy? That's not me. Now, every other player in the world say the Juju Smith-Schusters would be yes. like, I'm ready, hashtag prepared for this, rise up, I'm going to be the number one. Nate's initial reaction was, you guys are insane. Yeah. Why would you, I'm not Randy Moss. And so that told me so much about him. Yeah. Team player, humble, funny. And the second reason with Nate, which you, you may relate to, is early on in our conversation, for one of the first chats I ever had with him, he made a movie reference that was so deep and so out there. He referenced, of all things, 
Teen Wolf 2, the sequel with Jason Bateman, Teen Wolf 2, T-O-O, as in Teen Wolf also. And I was wearing shorts at the time, and I had pretty hairy calves. He's like, damn, man, you look like you'd be in Teen Wolf 2. And I said, did you immediately jump right over the Teen Wolf to make a Teen Wolf 2? What are you showing off? And he goes, yeah, man, I love Teen Wolf 2. So that's when I knew, never mind the Randy Moss stuff, the second he can reference Bateman being a boxer in the sequel to Teen Wolf, we're going to go along fine. You are a human nostalgia machine. I try to be. It's like, And the fact that you were on Real World had to be such an accomplishment because of your love of pop culture. Yeah, that was insane. I I mean, I went to college when Real World was, for college-age kids, like the coolest thing on television. It was, it, and when I was in college, it was TRL, we, you know, with corn videos yes. and, and and Backstreet. And then I it remember was, getting into arguments about what was going to be number one on TRL. Was it going to be Ja Rule Holla Holla, or was it going to be That Don't Impress Me Much by that insert that Cheryl Crescent. Yeah. yeah. Or was it going to be the Bum Bum song by Tom Green? Oh, man. So my, oh. I, I, that was the one. <laughs> Jesse Camp and all that stuff. Oh. Tear Up was the coolest thing. And so, and also on MTV. So the the two coolest shows were, M- were on MTV. And then if you include MTV Spring Break, which is amazing, oh. it was the top three. So they Real World came to Princeton. They did an open call. I wasn't one of the persons who went out and people went out and made a video. I got kind of drunk with a couple of friends and just showed up to the open call. And I remember I sat down and every, it was they had 50,000 people so I wanted to be on Real World. And they tried to ask you unusual questions, see what you're going. And I remember the question they asked me was, and this is a little different because this is 2001. People talked differently at the time. They said, say you were to be given a compliment um, from a homosexual man that you were attractive. How would you respond to that? And I was like, well... It's happened twice already today, and I loved it. So I think I would be just great with that. And they were like, oh, that's hilarious. And I think that they were, you know, homophobia was, they were being rooted out at the time. And certainly Real World's always been at the forefront of that. Yes. So, like, that was their big question. And I imagine they asked some guys, and they'd be like, whoa. Well, I, just I also saw in, in the one you did in Chicago, like, the, the, the theme of homosexuality was, like, a huge part of that uh, sure. season. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was two, we had two out. Uh, castmates, I guess they're called, roommates, yeah. Chris and Anissa. And like, I mean, it's been a big part of that whole franchise back, going back to the beginning of oh, it. So, of course. Yeah, I mean, it was like there was Chicago Gay Pride was at the time. And I don't know, now it seems everyday life, but in yes. 2001, it made a difference. And then, I mean, look, my season is renowned as the 9-11 season, which is terrible. Is it really? We were, yeah, we were in the middle of that while that all went on, which was just like the biggest mindfuck of all time, being on camera while that's happening. So... I mean, real world was insane. It really was. Looking back on it, I'm, I'm 40 now. Yeah, like, yeah I was yeah. 22 at the time. I was, what the fuck was I doing? The And the whole time, though, you've always wanted to kind of do sports, though, huh? Well, I wanted to be a movie star, and that was oh, the thing. Gotcha. I did. and then So you wanted to be the movie star at the Lakers game in the front row. Yeah. So you really weren't, because I know you played football and all that, but yeah. like, your dream was really to be Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I mean, it was to be, I mean, it sounds strange now, but Tom Cruise. People people say, like, what's the movie that made you want to be a movie star? And you're supposed to say some sort of, I don't know, Marlon Brando back in the day. Citizen King. Yeah, like the it's Daniel Day-Lewis. It was, it was Jerry Maguire. I, I saw Jerry Maguire. I'm like, Tom Cruise is the coolest guy in the world in that movie. Was like, this is 96, before things got a little eccentric with him. And I'm just like, oh, I want to do That's what I want to do. I want to fall in love with Dorothy Boyd, and I want to have little Ray and make jokes. And then that propelled me to doing it in Days of Our Lives and stuff. And then when that dried up, I always feel like um, sports was like my old girlfriend from college mm. that we never really made it work. And I ran into her at the grocery store, and I'm like, oh, you shop here? And then we got along, and that was it. You had 
that one back and forth on Good Morning Football with I'm blanking this morning. Uh, funny running back that was on uh, D'Angelo Williams. Yes. Yeah. And what's interesting is uh, I've never shared this with the 33% before. Uh, when Sims was here at a Super Bowl, we had D'Angelo Williams on, uh-huh. and we gave him 30 minutes because I was like, "Oh, this guy can talk." Yeah. And he was insanely confrontational, which I loved because I sure. it was after happened with you. Yeah. And he he said a lot of things that upset Sims. And then when we got done, he goes, "Do you like that?" And I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Oh, I don't really feel that way. I just said that stuff." Mm-hmm. And we never released that episode. Yeah. I wasn't a fan of that. Mm-hmm. I'm a very much a fan of people like Martellus Bennett and people that naturally think differently and cause conversation. I'm not down for the fake shit. I, I don't. Know. I don't play with the fake shit. Did he? There's a market apolo- for that now. Did he apologize to you afterwards? Or was that genuine when he came for your neck like that? No, no, no. He hasn't apologized. And I'm not looking for one, for the record. There was a moment on air when he was with Steve Smith on a different program on the network when Steve, his former teammate, kind of called him out, said, like, you went too far. And... But it's fine. The, the backstory on the D'Angelo thing, yeah. which was very awkward and very unexpected, the segment before, as you know, sometimes the guests listen to the segment before. We're talking about Gronk, and it was we were hyping Gronk like we always do, and Hall of Famer this, Hall of Famer that. Go to commercial. Hey, everybody, D'Angelo Williams is here. And he comes out and he goes, I got some scores to settle with you guys. You guys don't know what you're talking about with Gronk. And we're, we're thinking, great, this will be yeah, a great guest. Yeah. He's got something to say. So we get into the segment and he's, it's going fine. We're asking all these questions. And then it just stops. And D'Angelo's over here, and Schrager and I are on the other side of the table. And I'll never forget, he points at us with like a devil horn. So he goes, he goes like that, you two, which I've never been pointed at. Like, that's weird. He says, you two. And he went on about that he had issues with us. And then the card came up, the card of you didn't play the game card. And he played it really, really hard. And we don't appreciate it. You haven't been through what we've been through. And it was so off the rails. I'll, and I'll never forget when he was kind of belittling my experience, whatever. I remember in the teleprompter for the next question, it was like, D'Angelo, tell us about the great work you're doing for cancer research. Because he has an amazing story about yeah. his mom and the pink hair. I mean, it's really good. And yeah, we wanted to get to that guy. question, but we couldn't. It was really unusual. And to answer your question, when the segment finally ended, he got up, shook hands with Nate, and like stormed off and was very upset. And everyone's like, what do you think that was? I was like, I think he was trying to make a name for himself. And he was. it always felt to me like kind of an off-brand LeVar Ball. Like, I'm going to come in and kind of play a character and shake things up, which I welcome. If you want to shake things up, yeah. do it. But he was like really demeaning to the hosts. It was a weird day, man. That's not what we do on that show. You know what's really interesting hmm. is when that happened, I turned to Sims and I said, it's the best thing that ever happened to Kyle Brandt. You think? Because it's the elephant in the fucking room. You just said you had a show on NFL Network and it's you, Peter Schrager, Kay Adams, yeah. and Nate Burleson. Yeah. And so in a way, instead of people going, man, what's Kyle saying? Then that happens. Cat's completely out of the bag. Yeah. They see how that you respond and that you didn't just go, you're right, you're yeah, right, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. And I thought it level set the show from then there out. I thought it was the best thing that could have happened to you. It's a, I mean, if you handle it well, you yeah. know, I mean, if, if some guys Because then people were turtled. going, oh shit, I didn't know that he played that, that many years in Princeton <laughs> and had that much success and that he actually played. Yeah. Oh, like, because I'm sure, like, there was the Jim Rome level, there's the real world level. Sure. I'm sure you didn't want to talk about your Princeton days. All I the hate time, talking about but it. But in a way, it forced you to do it. Like, I just had Spice Adams on. No, and no, a I lot of it. people went, 
Shit, Spice Adams played in the NFL. Yeah. That meme that I love. That, that guy it, played in the NFL with Urlacher? Yeah, hell yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. yeah. I, I really thought it was, I knew it was going to be good for you. Well, thanks for saying that. I, I, it makes me break out in hives being on the NFL Network talking about my football career. I mean, I, I played for nine years. I played all the way through college. It was a kick return. I was a running back. Even talking about now, I hate. Because I'm on the same network with LaDainian Tomlinson and with yeah. Marshall Falk, or at least I was, and Kurt Warner and whatnot. Yeah. Like, I it's very meager in comparison. So I almost never play that card, but I guess I was kind of forced to. And that moment, a lot of people responded to the D'Angelo thing to the Kurt Warner, or rather, why don't I keep on with Kurt? To the Jim Rome and Jim Everett moment. Absolutely. Which was like, you know, I get asked that all the time. Was that stage? Was that, tell us about that. It was well before my time, but like people said that was great for television Jim. television history. Absolutely was great for Jim. It Do was you amazing. Because he comes off looking terrible in it. I don't think so at all. You, he's on his back and Everett's standing over him with his the finger in his face. The fact that he sat there no. and looked him in the face and down. called him Chris Everett and didn't back down. When he does his pictures where he's holding a gun microphone sure. or he's like, listen here, and he goes into it, it, it adds credibility to it. Yeah. If he would have been like, you're absolutely right, I'm sorry, he could never play the tough guy card again. Yeah. When he says, I bet you I do, Chris. I mean, it's like, holy shit, oh. you just said it, man. And you kind of didn't have a choice. I know he wishes he would have handled it differently. But the I amount of times, the amount of times that I've been interviewing someone where I've like, they punched me in the face, this could be pretty good. <laughs> I'm not going to try and be an asshole, yeah. but let's see if we can get it there. Do you like that? Um, I like do like I've thought about having guests where like you come in and I say, Hey man, I'm gonna be right back yeah. and like I just record the whole thing and see how long you'll wait in this room. <laughs> like I've had thoughts of that. That's funny. Because I like you, I think about creating content from let how do I change everything? Mm -hmm. Like this table I wanted like this shape. Because I want three people here to where and you can't see the fucking cameras right now. You know no, where I mean? are those things? There? Yeah. There? Are they seeing me sweat? Because I've been sweating this whole time. Let's but... go to that. Christ. Um, I have a sweating problem to the point where Sims used to make fun of me all the time. I do too. And I'm not, it's not about nerves. <laughs> it's just, that's my fucking body. I know. I know. I heard yeah. that you would put maxi pads in your armpits yeah. and would sit on an ice pack. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, what are your problem areas? My problem areas are my forehead. Uh -huh. I, it just starts coming down, and then like it just starts permeating. Yeah. And I would say pits, and yeah. then like back. Yeah. So there's lower back guys. There's pit guys. Um, I'm a pit guy. And thankfully, I'm not too bad of a forehead because I have a giant forehead. It would look terrible. <laughs> but when I start on Good Morning Football, you know how disconcerting it is to be doing live TV and to try to be delivering the best content you can, and some egg on Twitter is being like, yo, nice pit stains, bro. They're every And I used to have... Oceans out here. I and mean, you're like a hand lakes. talker, so there's going to be. And they're always yeah. up. I'm not down you're doing here. Doing good right now. Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, at one point, after I got made fun of so many times, and yes, I would have our wardrobe uh, worker at take actual maxi pads and stuff them into my shirt and tape them and so to the point where like I mean, the feminine hygiene products are under my armpits on TV. It's pathetic. Wow. So finally, uh, uh, the same name, Steve Smith, the potential Hall of Famer. Said, dude, you got to get Thompson tees. I was like, what the fuck is a Thompson tee? A Thompson tee is an undershirt that has padding in the armpits. Wow. That just, it, it's all just soaks it up here like a tractor beam. How many Thompson tees do you own now? Uh, thousands. Thousands, dude. And you know what the worst part is? I hate undershirts because it makes you feel bigger. Right, right. And it actually makes you sweat more because yes. you're wearing two shirts, but it's all harnessed like in a canal <laughs> under my armpits. Dude, you used to see me sweating when I used to be on the soap opera, and I'd just, I, I'd be like, you know, my The director's say, like, I like Kyle, but we have to cut so much for terrible. his fucking sweat. 
vulnerability. I Bell, <laughs> you're the one I always wanted to be with. And I know that you don't want this moment to be, and I would reach out and I'd have to be like, because the director would be like, put your hand on her face. And then they'd say, cut, can we get a fresh t-shirt? And this huge Lake Ontario is falling down. It's not exactly sexy for the housewives at home. I had a major problem with it. Thompson T saved my ass. That's incredible. I know, but I still, I'm sweating right now. And I know people that have gotten like uh, injections into their Botox. armpits. And... Yeah, people tell me I should get that. No, I'll blow right through that. the Botox. Now, I'm not, plus I'm not paying for it. Come on, what are we doing here? That just doesn't doesn't sound healthy. Your body is supposed <laughs> right. to sweat and you're going to clog it. It's going to come out somewhere else. Doesn't it just get rejected back into your internal organs? And now your it... ankles are going to be pouring <laughs> is out. It like, like putting who... your finger yes, in the dam exactly. and it comes out this a way. thousand percent. It's just the gum and the dam. That's funny, man. Uh, I also heard that you might sweat if you saw a raccoon. Terrified. Terrified of raccoons. Don't we all have our thing? Like I... Sharks, sure, everyone's afraid of sharks. Uh, spiders, nah. Heights, nah, whatever. Raccoons scare the living shit out of me because when I was a little kid, there was um, some that were in our chimney. This is the most morbid shit ever. I don't know if they do this anymore, but in the 80s, there had been a nest in our chimney when I was about six or seven years old. knock it down? Start a fire and knock it down? I would have. And I, you would think, we got an exterminator, and what they, I don't know if they still do it, they go into the base of the fireplace and not a fire they release like uh, pneumonia or what's the, what's the what's the word for ammonia the, ammonia no, not yeah. pneumonia <laughs> they flood their lungs no <laughs> they release ammonia up there and for some reason my mom dropped the ball we were there watching them do it and as the ammonia goes up the raccoons are like making these walking dead sounds that sound through the rest of my life will haunt my dreams of the raccoons being flooded with the ammonia and then escaping through the chimney so scared of them if one was in there right now it's not it's not funny like i, I mean, it's not a cute afraid of it like i actually would have a physical reaction like if it. one came in right now you would get behind me are you about to do this because i know you David, got tricks bring it in i'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. i got my heartbeat picked up right there let's see the sweat I mean, it's it, the Thompson tea takes it all. <laughs> Look at, I mean, it's it's disgusting right there. It's, it's actually through the plastic. So wrap. your yours goes really. Yeah. In a way, you felt bad for them, but do I you think that's what it, the shrink would say? Are you at a point now no. where you fear the raccoons that they maybe have talked to each other and they have heard about the Brant family household in Chicago? <laughs> the Brant massacre of '86. Of '86. What was it? It's it's the Great Outdoors. That's from my cousin Louis. Right. Back in the day, that was my uncle. You ammoniaed his ass. And they all talk to each other. You Look. make the sound now, Kyle. <laughs> Anything that's nocturnal is first a little creepy. The fact that it's up at night makes it ominous. They're very often rabid. They're scavengers, the garbage, all that crap. It's any animal that is going to eat my rancid old container of, of bacon or hummus, whatever that was in my crap, I don't want anything to do with them. Man. No, not It's good me. to know what your fears are, in case raccoons. I want to prank you in the future. If you bring a raccoon in here, yes, I'm going to need Thompson underpants, too, to contain myself. Um, <laughs> what is your, like, the, of all the, the Jim Rome slash Good Morning Football, so sports media stuff you've done, what was your favorite moment to be a part of? Is there one that jumps to your yeah, head right away? Yeah, there was an insane one last summer. If, if The Chicago Bears... Let me call a game on TV, which was batshit, man. I um, oh, hold on. Oh, what so, do we got? The Leaf Shriver again? No, someone called me, which create let it. I don't know. What's the music? No, that's is that not your my ring back? Oh, okay, correct. My ring back is the hard knocks. Oh, that's incredible. Is that really? You really like the show? Adam Lefko <laughs> wakes up in a cold sweat. <laughs> but the only thing in his mind is winning. Um, no, so what was the moment? The I, Chicago I Bears last spring. 
What happened to Trubisky? No, Mitchell Schwartz. He just got a contract extension. Oh, way to go, man. Yeah. Congratulations. May the Schwartz be with you. I called the Bears game last August, and I mean on television as the lead play-by-play guy. Wow. I was not color. I was not the third guy. They called me in the spring and said, we have five preseason games. We're playing the Hall of Fame game. And the fifth preseason game, no one watches, no one plays. We thought we'd do something a little different with it. Come in and just be yourself. Do what you do on Good Morning Football. So I'm sitting there in my childhood cathedral of Soldier Field. Wow. I've never called a football game on any level. Um, you sit down, Jim Miller, the former Bears quarterback, Corey Wooten, another Bears monster. Yeah. And I have to call the game. And this is Tyler Bray of the Bears versus A.J. McCarron of the Bills for three hours in my hometown. And, like, dude, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that. Did you know all this stuff? There's a spotter that's next to you. So You I, know this stuff? What do you got? So I did the uh, rookie sophomore NBA game on TNT this year. So it's like Donovan Mitchell versus like Luka Doncic. <laughs> and I, I've talked about this before where they hit me up and they're like, you know, we we're thinking about having you do this. You've done play-by-play before. I was like, absolutely. I went to Syracuse University. And then like I hung up the phone. I called my agent. I was like, I've never done a yeah, game before. You gotta lie. And, and I think it got back to them mm-hmm. because then a few weeks weeks out they were like are you sure and i was like yeah and i called up iron eagle and i got like advice and he was like this is how you should treat it like yeah. the energy of it and all that yeah but then when you sit in the chair mm-hmm. and it starts that's when you realize this is easier than doing a radio show in my mind it was just you reacting it was easy I, it felt it felt easy at the time because what you just go back on is like you spent your whole life watching these exactly guys. so you watched whoever is enberg and musburger and nance and like you kind of just copy them in your own way but as the play-by-play guy, there's so many nuts and bolts that you have to hit. Um, like the spotter I, was incredible, though. So such an asset. You know, like, I'm, I'm going, um, oh, Luka Doncic, step back, knocks down the triple, and then a little piece of paper comes up, and I go, that's 12 <laughs> points for Luka Doncic thus far. Kind of making that case early for MVP, <laughs> huh, guys? And they're talking, and then, like, he puts, like, another one in there, and it's like, oh, he's got six assists. And I'm like, how the fuck are you keeping track of I all know, this? That was Marv, Al- I had Marv Albert's statistician. Oh, my gosh. And he was like, that was actually kind of fun. Really? Like you thought it was good. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, that's oh, great feedback. I'm set. I'm set. You sound like you did better than me. I, I remember there's a director who talks to you through the whole thing, and the director will talk you through like go to commercial. Yes. This, is, this here's this graphic, and I remember like in the third quarter because they kept saying after the play ends he would say we're gonna go to the replay, and I kept going all right we're gonna go to the replay <laughs> every time, and then the third quarter he goes we're gonna go to the replay. Don't say we're gonna go to the replay. <laughs> so I just go. Let's take a look. <laughs> that, really what that is is I just came up through traditional sports TV. Like yeah. news reporter, yeah, sports anchor, people talking in my ear all the time. You're classically trained. I've In a way. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was able to do that, but at the same point um, – like I, I've been DMing Danny Green throughout the finals no way. because he was one of the guys I did the game with. And they had never done TV before. It was him and Frank Kaminsky. And I think I've shared this story before. That's a cool trio. We sat down an hour before the game, and Kaminsky's eating meatballs, yeah. and they had never seen a rundown before, and uh-huh. they had never done television. Right. So we got out there, and I know how intros go, and I'm going, high atop the AT&T Center, wherever the fuck we were. It is time for the Rising Stars game. And I knew exactly what they were going to do. So I was like, it's Luka Doncic, and he pops on screen. And I remember Kaminsky looked at me, and he was like, he thought I magically brought that video up. No way. Because he had no idea of how, but I had the notes of what shots they were going to go to. Mm-hmm. And so after, like, the first time out, Danny Green looks at me, he goes, you're saving my ass right now. I go, I got you, bro. Like, oh my gosh. this is going to be easy. So now, like... 
I'm kind of rooting for Danny. Me too. Because I went through the game. Are you rooting for the Raptors right now? Yeah, of course. I like something different. I'm rooting for the Warriors. Why? Um, now they're the under. I won a game seven. Like so, until we get to the game seven, I'll reevaluate who I'm rooting yeah. for. But I'm rooting for the Warriors to get us to a game yeah. seven. Um, I don't know. I'm fucking weird. I like dynasties. I, I like dynasties too. But right now, I work for the NFL. I just want the shortest possible outcome for the NBA. Just kill the finals. I I wish it was. Warriors and four, they win every game by 20 points. I want, I don't want compelling content coming from the NBA. Mm. It's more people who are watching them. Gotcha. So now this is becoming one of the more compelling finals of the sure. last decade, and I hate it. It's not good for us. I, I just want blowouts every single night. What's your favorite non-headline story in the NFL right now? Like, I do a thing here called, whoa, big offseason, mm-hmm. which is all about the headlines that are, like, not that big of a deal. Like, did you hear Daniel Jones is a blender of Peyton Manning and Eli Manning? <laughs> yeah. Like, get the fuck <laughs> out of here. I love that. Or, like, the third-string linebacker that grew up on a farm, and he, he chucked a lot of corn, and that's the toughness this Denver Broncos team needs. <laughs> like, that's the, that's the world <laughs> we're good. in right now. There's a bunch. Um, Kevin White, like... Yeah, he's in, where is he now? He's in Arizona. Arizona. Like, okay. is there a part of you as a Bears fan, like, if you see, like, Kevin White might be ready to hit that next gear in Arizona, you're going to be like, fuck! I know. Big time. I, I, the, what I'm saying that about now is the Bears kicker competition. Kicker competition sounds so lame and so tedious until you realize that, like, the Bears have a serious fucking problem and that could cost them a Super Bowl run. They're kicker. So Ingber brought in his top five woes of the week, and I know one of the ones that didn't even make the honorable mention was the Bears right now are using Augusta Silence to find their kickers. I know. So instead of, like, everyone talking shit or whatever, the entire practice field... Silence. You can feel the alpine winds going through the dogwoods and the cool waters of Ray's Creek, and they're shanking them. They can't, they can't figure this out. And Matt Nagy, their coach, is like the coolest guy, cool with the media. He's starting to get a little tense about this because all he gets asked about is the kickers. They had three of them yesterday, three kickers, and the Bears just finished their Bears 100 thing. So all these VIPs are here, and there's past great players and their families, and they're surrounding the field. And Nagy says, all right, let's bring the kickers out. Let's do three kicks, each from 42 yards. First guy misses wide left. Second guy misses wide right. The third guy hits the post. Just the post, just like Cody Parkey did. Wow. One of them got cut this morning. And I, I think it's so big because it's like um, the Bears roster with no kicker is like you have a Bentley, but you have no windshield wipers. If it rains, you're screwed. Like there's nothing you can do about it. Them not having a kicker could like alter the whole NFC. I'm fascinated by it. Um, so you had to love, as a lifelong Eagles fan, that double doink. <laughs> You had to fucking love it. That was weird. I mean, no, like, let's really get it. Mom I mean, and dad were fighting. That I mean, was it. Cody Parkey kicking it, and it hit there. And, like, I know it was blocked, but, like, you had to fucking love that, huh, Kyle Brandt? It was unbelievable, man. You know me, dude. As a big-time Eagles fan, I grew up in, uh, where would I grow up? South Philly? I don't even know. You're in Doylestown. Isn't it incredible that Parkey, <laughs> Doylestown? Is that where their heart is? So they fight it's just there? A ran- no, it's just a random uh, I don't even. I don't even know the towns. I, I know the So that, the you hated Bell. that, huh? But I bet you were getting a lot of tweets from Eagles fans being like, we go Eagles! It! I think what was amazing about that was the way that when Parky missed it, he, like, crossed himself before he even had his moments. Like, that dude is devout. Yes. I, I don't know about you. I'm always very jealous of people who have religion. I don't have mm. much of it. Mm. But I wish I had it. I think it's, like, very powerful. I was envious of that in that moment, as his whole life and world is crumbling, he still does that. That was he. Hell. As soon as it, he does that, and that means that you know that he feels okay on the inside. Yeah, shielded. Imagine having that in your life. I, I, I can't even pray with really committing to it. The ability in that moment to do that, 
honestly, I know it's like a random take, but that was the compelling uh, moment within that that Parky was, and then next five days later, he's talking to Hoda about that, which was terrible. Right. But that moment, shit, that was compelling to me. Yeah. So that was that was a man. I was in my underwear on my couch in the same. I'm very superstitious in the same spot, and it get blocked. And I am. You I do that took, stuff. Yes. <laughs> you do. Are you not superstitious at all? A little. I mean, I think that's funny. What's the position and what's no? The... It just it changes. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, 2002 playing the Bucks first half. Uh, I ate a chip at the start of every play because the first play, Deuce Staley broke out a long run, and I ate a chip. And my friend looked at me and said, "We're go to the store, Add get the more Tostitos." Yeah. So, like, there were 70 snaps in the first half. I ate 70 <laughs> chips. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. I can't help it. Oh, that's great. My, my fiance does not watch Eagles games with me. She, I can watch NBA games. I can watch Sixers games. I, okay. Eagles games are the one that, um, nah, it's different. How the Alshon I get it from my dad. The Alshon drop. Did you eat a chip? What was your reaction? That was heart-wrenching, man. I was back. I think Nick Foles would have won that game. I do. Uh, well, he was in the Oh, no, he was. Oh, you mean if he if the drive kept going? Yeah, I think oh, he yeah. was going to go finish that drive, and they were going to win the game in the Superdome, and we'll never know. There's, I mean, I think that. Oh shit, yeah. But right I, I don't hands. get upset at Alshon because um, of what he did the year before, and when we heard the injuries he was playing sure. with and all that shit. But at the time, yeah, that was heart wrenching. For that's the way it ended. That's really Nick my, last my, play. My issue was not Alshon Jeffrey's job. My issue was why did they run up to the line of scrimmage and rush that play? Mm-hmm. If if the listeners remember back to that game, as I talked through a burp, the clock was in their favor. They didn't need to. I also, I don't want them to rush because I don't want Drew Brees to get the ball back. I know. And they were right around the two minute warning. Like it was completely unnecessary. It was the opposite of what McNabb was doing at the end of the Super Bowl, which was yes. taking it forever. You still haven't lived that down. I really want you to meet Deion Sanders. I don't want to do it. I have so many notes here about it. And, okay. Yeah, but at the same point, like... I had his album unironically. Everyone makes fun of Dion's album. I bought the the album Primetime at Best Buy in about 1994. I memorized the lyrics. Back in 89, I signed the dotted line. The first song's called Time for Prime. I was way into it. I taped... When he hosted SNL, I taped it on VHS. Bon Jovi was the musical guest. I, uh, I know every skit. It was my hero worship was Dion. I don't right. want to meet him. I know that because you have a long run with Jim Rome, mm-hmm. that your takes are not safe and that you can go in some interesting directions. You now, I want to know how many great rants or segments that you've had that you have on the cutting room floor that you can't do on Good Morning Football. Mm. And is there one that was really, really good? Maybe. You know what we don't do? We don't go negative much. Yeah. You know, like we don't rip players and teams that sure. much. Whereas, like, I rip owners and coaches, but I don't rip oh, players yeah, don't that do much. That. Really? Because, like, in Rome, like, if someone does something really dumb, like, he could do an hour just, like, telling that person over and over, and then the listeners pour in. So there is some of that. That took an adjustment, man. I mean, I'm especially it's simple. Some high profile athlete would, let's say, bring a gun to the airport or get a DUI and then just Rome is so good on putting those people in their perspective and putting them in their place. Twitter is a loaded gun. <laughs> yeah. And it will go off. And it will go off. Horse racing, punch in the face and a kick in the ass. Like <laughs> those are all the takes. So, I mean, I have a lot of them. We have very amusing commercial breaks where like into countdown, we'll talk about something that maybe wouldn't say on the air at all. Right, right. But like, I know where I am. There's a big ass NFL shield on yeah. there, and like I'm not gonna tear into a coach for five minutes. But I guess we do it sometimes. I don't have like I'm trying to think about the take that I held back that I didn't do. Um, there's some things sometimes. You know what? After the D'Angelo thing, 
um, Le'Veon got on Twitter and also attacked me. It was pretty high profile. Yes. And I wanted to fight back. And two things. One, just for my self-respect. And two, because I think it'd be good for the show. This is a real, this is a superstar athlete. Yeah, you understand marketing. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get some juice going here, so to speak. And um, it did not happen. Because mm. this, I don't know, it's like the kind of atmosphere that we foster at the NFL Network, right. openly fighting with players. But I had some stuff. I mean, I, I was ready to go. There are some drafts in your Twitter right now. A lot of drafts. A lot of drafts. Um, he because he came and he came and backed up D'Angelo, and he made some really bad metaphor about D'Angelo popped up on you like toast. And I'm just looking at my chops. I'm like, dude, you can run the ball better, a million times better than me. I don't know if you want to be in this with me because I will tear you apart. And since then, I root for Le'Veon and everything like that. But that was the time when like, I kind of wanted to fight, and it was not really a thing. Uh, I, I have in my notes that you're a huge 90s NBA guy. And is this because of Jordan and like being a Chicago fan? You guys own the '90s and the yeah, best. Yeah, dude. Like, I won the sports fan Powerball. We joke about the Philly thing. I was living in the Chicago suburbs in high school and junior high when the six championships were going on. My dad used to take me to the Chicago Stadium and United Center. Like Jordan was my everything and then, until it became Dion. But when I was a little kid. I, it, who, it doesn't get any better than that. Being living in Chicago, I was five minutes from their practice facility. We used to occasionally see Jordan's car, and it would be like Jumpman twenty three on the license plate. It was a black Ferrari. It was amazing. So obviously you love Jordan, yeah. But of the cent- the secondary cast, yeah. who was your favorite? The second of the Bulls or the NBA? Yeah, were you like a Horace Grant, a Kukoc, Big Horace a guy. I mean, I love the end of the benchers. Like, I loved Judd Bushler. I love Bobby Hansen. I love Cartwright. Ron, uh, Bill Cartwright, of course. Ugliest shot in NBA history. If there's, there needs to be a Bleacher Report article about the ugliest <laughs> shots. There might be already. And the man would shoot it like a baby doing a dunk in a Fisher-Price hoop. And yet he won three rings as a starting yeah. center with Michael Jordan. Jordan used to always say, like, there's this quote from him, I think it might have been in the Jordan rules, that, like, he got so pissed off that he would make these incredible baseline passes to Cartwright and he would drop. And Jordan was eventually like, if he drops one or more of my passes, I'm just going to start throwing them at his fucking face and they can hit him in the face. Like, that was Jordan. Yeah. And, like, when you would read that when you were 13, you're like, you're the coolest guy ever. Man. Cartwright, loved him. All right, so you're a big 90s basketball guy. Yeah. You haven't met Dion. Have you met Tom Cruise yet? No, I've never met Cruise. Thomas Maypother the fourth or whatever. Is that is, no. your that's your acting Dion Sanders? He was the guy like he, yeah, he was the guy who was I think I looked up to when I was in high school and college, but I don't want to meet him either. You ever have this experience like we talked about this being disappointed about meeting people? I think we all know at this point that Tom Cruise is, is not an, not a usual guy. Right. I don't think we would just have a cool conversation like you and I are having. I think he's got some really different interests than me. Yeah. I just want to leave them up there, man. Like, I don't want to meet G.I. Joe either. I, I I don't want to meet Han Solo. Like, they would disappoint me. If they if they were a dick or they didn't think you were cool, like, I, I then I have to carry that around the rest of my life. I want to leave Dion and Maverick up there. You've seen through so much of this industry. Like, you've seen the bullshit aspects of being a star on camera, being yeah. behind the scenes. Like, yeah. what do you think is the most real part of this industry? I mean, the answer is the answer is just, like, hard work. Like, people who work their ass off. I'm not. I'm going to pay you a compliment. You're incredibly well-researched. I'm really flattered by how oh, much thanks. stuff you know about me. Because if you do enough Ever interviews... No, of course he did. He's so great. Did, so did Burleson. But at least you have it. Like, you do so many interviews where you know the person doesn't know who the hell you are. Yeah. You just know as a guest immediately. And I would say anyone who wants to get into media, the guest knows you don't know about them, didn't know your work. So I think the work... And when I was working on Jim Roman's Burn on ESPN... 
we had a very, 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 very famous wide receiver come and guest host the show. And Jim Roman's burning was all prompter. It was like the opening block was like a nine-minute prompter read. And I wrote the scripts for this guy, and he sa- I said, did you read them? Are you ready? Hey, man, you sure? We're about to go live on ESPN. Do you want to run through the teleprompter a little bit? No, I'm good. I'm a game day player. Let's just let it rip. And what ensued was nine minutes of live television that was completely nonsensical, pictures popping up of him not even talking about things anymore. The teleprompter operator is like, should I go? Should I not? It was the worst debacle ever. I can't believe it's not on YouTube. And I walked up to him afterwards. I go, shit, man, you ready to move on? Yeah, man, I'm ready. We nailed it. Let's go. And I was thinking, dude, that is the worst segment that's ever been on ESPN ever. No work, no work ethic. I'm a and game for day Chris player. Carter to still be on Isn't TV. Isn't that incredible? And now he's in first things first. No, it's not Chris Carter. <laughs> it's someone just as famous as Chris Carter, though. Keyshawn Johnson. I, I, it's, not, it's not Chris Carter. Michael Irvin. <laughs> no, Irvin's incredible. Irvin's amazing. Yeah, it's not Irvin. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I think one thing that I... You know I've, your stuff, dude. One thing I've realized... <laughs> So I call my audience, uh, they now call themselves to the 33%. Yeah, this is cool. And the reason is, is that when I lost a co-host, 33% of the show's equity became available. So I gave it to them and they've really owned it. And I think the cool thing is, is that when you can talk about the NFL, but you can also talk about life and people probably see you and they see you on TV in the morning and they go, this guy's got it made. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got two healthy kids. He's good looking. He's had all the success in the past, but I know that every day you're waking up and you're going, how can I be better than I was yesterday? Or how do I achieve something I haven't achieved yet? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that when you make it, you make it. Mm -hmm. And so the thing I try to pass along to them is whatever stage in life they're going into. I got a lot of kids in high school. I got a lot of kids in college. I got people that are starting jobs and they're realizing, shit, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. And I try to explain to them that you realizing what you don't want to do is so valuable because some people won't realize it until it's too late. And you can be at this age where you can pivot. And so that was what was so cool about your story was you're so deep in the game that you probably pivoted at a point where a lot of people around you were going, you sure? Mm-hmm. Why are you going to give this up? Yeah. And I'm sure that there was a lot of people around you too that you getting off camera hurt them more than it hurt you. Because mm. they couldn't then go, that's my cousin or that's my friend that's on camera anymore. And you're like, no, this is my dream. This is my life. Like, I bet you that was fucking interesting too. It is. It is. I, if people sometimes ask me... Um, I don't know what advice you have or direction or anything like that. And like, I I don't know, I'm not going to preach to anybody anything other than I can say that I had a few crossroads in my career where like, I really had no business being in a certain room or doing a certain job. And I used to get insecure about it when I met with Jim Rome for the first time. And my resume was that I had been on a soap star and a a reality show. And now I'm going to be a producer for him. I remember I said to him, I said, I don't know. My background's a little different. I don't know if you're going to like it, which I shouldn't have said. He goes, no, man, that's exactly why I like it. You know how many people I could find who went to journal school and, you know, are writing a little bit and played high school, this and that. He's like, I I want something completely different. And I remember when I met about the NFL Network job, I said, I didn't play. I haven't really been on TV since I was an actor. And I just said, screw it. Like, there's no everyone's looking for something different. Everyone, I think we, we're built up. If you grew up like we did, if you have the right major and the right internship and then the right recommendation, it can lead to your job. Like a lot of that is just bullshit, man. Like it's it's just about having conviction that I want to do this and like I think I can be on a talk show and I know I can write you some cool stuff about Kobe and what he said about Shaq last night and then we'll work on the radio 
And for some reason, they just bought it. And I don't know what the hell's next for me, but somehow I ended up here. It's doing the work. That's what you said. Yeah. It's you go there and you look around and you realize what matters. And then you just do that harder mm-hmm. than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's why you are where you are. I hope so, man. Feel good? Yeah, it feels really good. But I know what you said, too. Like, I'm completely unsatisfied. Like, I, I, don't, feel, I don't feel like, yeah, I'm set. I'll do this for the next 25 years and retire. Like, it tears me apart that I'm not still doing this and that. I don't have a book and I don't have a number one pot. I don't have any of that stuff. Yeah. But I mean, I have two kids and I have a pretty cool job. So I try to rest on that, but it tears me apart. Well, the good thing is, is that there's some people that can get torn apart and then they just stay torn. Mm -hmm. And there's some people that they look back in their past and they realize that every time they've torn, the best shit ever happens Mm -hmm. right afterwards. No, you're right. So it means something great's about to happen to you. What was it? You never, you don't build muscles unless you tear them? Yeah, What was that, Socrates? I'm going to get that tattooed, man. I think it was Donovan uh, Melendez, (laughs) the guy that trains me Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at you, man. You've done well yourself. I had a good time. Me too. I hope you enjoyed it. This was incredible. You have an open invitation. Yes. Whenever you want. Thank you for I having me. I want to get me. you and Nate together sometime soon. Okay. We'll rap together. We'll do bars. That's the cool way you to say it. You want to freestyle us out of here? Yeah, sure. All right, here we go. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Huh. Ice is back on my brand new invention. Hey. Something. Grabs a hold of me tightly, flows like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? What? Yo, I don't know. Huh. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. That's it. That was straight off the dome. Yeah, to the extreme, I rock a mic like a van electric stage and we actually jump like a can. What? Wow. <laughs> the, beat, the beat picked back up. That was yes. a complete freestyle right there. Kyle I just Brent. wrote it. I wrote it on my hand. He's sweating on the on the forehead now, Look just like me. Hit him up on rally. social, 33%, and let him know that you appreciate it. Y'all are the shit. Ahala, ahala, ahala. That's your next week.